Hey, if we have not met, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am thrilled to be with you today. Uh, I want to invite you to grab your Bibles and go with me to 1 John chapter 5. We are not going to be finishing up 1 John today like we had planned, because uh, God has other things in plan. Um, but I, I'm excited to open God's Word. Amen. What we saw God do in the earlier service was amazing, and so we're thrilled that you're in the room with us or you're at home. And uh, So I want to start off with this. I, I just need a survey. I just need to know if I'm the only one. Um, but I have this thing about me that when uh, I leave our house, pull out of our driveway, and then turn off our road, there's, one, there's a house on the corner that if I go past it, I can't see my my house anymore. So I'll back out of the driveway, I'll shut the garage, I know it's shut, but when I turn the corner, I have to turn back and make sure my garage door is shut. <laughs> y'all are laughing because I think some of y'all are with me. <clears throat> There's been multiple times that I have forgotten to look back and been like, I don't know if I shut the door. And turn back around or loop around the neighborhood to make sure, and it's always shut. But there is one time that I did not shut it and I was in a lot of trouble uh, by my wife. And but I do this, I do this, I do this in the morning when I uh, turn the alarm off in our house and I go to take our dog out. If, and um, it gives me a minor like heart attack when that alarm goes off when I forgot to turn it off. But I, all, all the time, I'll be like, go to open the door and be like, Kona, I, I don't know, hold on. And run back to our front door and check. And I'm like, okay, check. But it's just constant. Like I, I know that I did something, but I need to make sure I know I did it. Anyone? Cool. Oh, good, a few of y'all. Just making sure you're kind of looking at me like, something's wrong with him, can't trust him. But today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about how you can know what I believe to be the most important thing you can know. And I want to talk to you about how you can know that you have eternal life. I want, to know, I want you to know that you can know that you are saved. It's the most important conversation we can have. And so let's read First uh, John 5, and then we'll kind of unpack it. But Starting in verse 13, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know we have the request that he, we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. And to those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. Super confusing sentence, but we'll we'll do our best with it. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So in this passage, and reading on a little bit more, we see that there's seven we know statements. We know that we may know statements. And you see this theme that John is capstoning his letter with confidence. You can have confidence. You can know. This is the theme of this book, 1 John. See, it's one of the most important things for us as believers that we can know to know where you will spend eternity. What will happen after this life is the most important conversation we can have because there's those that think they believe and are wrestling with, do they actually believe, do they not? And sometimes they even act like they believe. 
But I want us to know that we can walk in confidence of who Jesus is for us. Because there's some, there's some scripture that is terrifying. And in Matthew 7, I think it's three of the most terrifying verses. It says this, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, there's people that think, but we can know. And this is terrifying because, listen, this sounds awesome. Like, I prophesied it in your name. I cast out demons. Anyone been a part of that ministry? I haven't. Doing mighty works, miracles. I'm not seeing like water turn to wine. My handkerchief hasn't healed anyone today. I don't know about you. I don't carry one. Maybe that's the problem. And, but... <laughs> I'm not a part of that ministry because it's not what we do that qualifies our faith. It's who we've placed our faith in that qualifies it. And this is and the result of that is, are you doing the will of the father? Am I casting out demons so I might get glory? Or am I doing it because I want the kingdom of God to come? But a lot of us, if we're not careful, have placed our hope in who we are and what we can do. And are walking through the life thinking that it's sufficient. That it's okay. I can do enough. I can love enough. I can serve enough. I'll give enough. And John wants us to know that we can know. See, John wrote the gospel of John. And the whole point of the gospel of John was that we would believe in Jesus. That's what he tells us in John chapter 20 and verse 31. I'm writing this that you will believe in that Jesus is the son of God, that he is the Messiah. He is the one you've been hoping for. And then we know at the end of this, that he's writing first John, that we will know that we know, right? It's that you would have confidence that you've placed your faith in Jesus, that you don't have to walk through going, I hope I did. I hope I've been good enough. I hope I've done enough. So what does it look like to have assurance? So two questions I want to ask or answer today in 1 John 5. The first one, does God want us to know we are saved? And two, how does God want us to know we are saved? And by the second question, you know, the first question is, yes, he does want us to know. Absolutely, he wants us to know. Verse 13, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus that you may know you have eternal life. I want you to know those that believe. This idea that believe in that we see here in the Greek literally means to rest in the account of. So John's saying, I want you to rest in the account of who Jesus is. The name of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the life of Jesus, his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. I want you to rest in that See, because that's what saves us, resting, trusting, surrendering. Because if we, if it's based on, well, I felt bad, so I prayed this prayer, I said it exactly how the pastor told me to say it, I walked the aisle, I, I got wet, I did all these things, like surely God loves me for that, but I haven't actually placed my trust and hope in Jesus, then I didn't do, I didn't actually surrender. 
If you think based on what, if you think your salvation is based on what you've said or done, you've missed it. But if it's based on what Jesus has done, trusting him, surrendering to him, what he did for you on the cross, that idea too, that you may know, like listen to that language. This is comforting. John's comforting this church that he's writing to that you may know, you can know you have security. You can know you have life. That you may know, literally translate, that you may see that you possess this. He's using possessive language that you have. It's yours, like eternal life, security for forever. Do me a favor real quick. Just think about forever, eternity. Like it's never going to end. It's just forever. That's mind boggling because some of you are like, this is never gonna end. And Jesus saying, you have this life. You have life with the Father forever. Never gonna end, never gonna stop. It's yours. You possess it. And John's saying that you can know that. You can know that you have that security. And this isn't fear that's driving you to, it's love. Look at 1 John 4. Verse 10, it says, in this is love. So pay attention, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Big phrase that he became the wrath, the payment of wrath for our sins. So salvation and the love that the father has is not based on your merit. It's not based on you being good enough. It's based that he was good when you were incapable. This is beautiful. This is the gospel that it's not on us. How, how much more security do you need? Because like, if, you know, if you know me, or if you're anything like me, you're like, man, I got no hope. I roll out of bed and things are rough. <laughs> right? I mean, like, you look in the mirror and you're like, man, there's not a lot of hope today. <laughs> but this is the idea that God, it's not about you. The sidebar, like if this book, reading this book becomes about you, you've missed it. This book is about God. And you figure out how to live your life in accordance to it, but it is a book primarily about God. Brandon Bridge Farmer is not mentioned in here. If he is, he's, a, he's the dummy. <laughs> See, God absolutely wants us to know that we are in him, that we are saved. It is his heart that we would know that we have security, that we have life in him. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life abundantly. He wants us to know because this is the only place you grow. This is the only place you grow. You only grow in security. Out of insecurity, you start trying to earn. You start trying to impress. Like if my kids didn't know that I was their dad and I made them try to earn their love for me and I never really pointed back out, it was just this constant like, maybe dad's dad, maybe he loves me, maybe he's for me, maybe he'll provide, maybe he'll take care of me. As their years go on and there's no security in that, it's never, you are mine, Piper. You are mine, Hudson. You are, I am your dad. They would start trying to earn it and then grow into resentment and ultimately rebelling. And the same is true for us. If we have to try to earn God's love, if we have to try to earn his acceptance and we constantly feel like we're failing and God doesn't love us and God might let go of us, then it'd be like, man, it's just not worth it. We only grow in security. 
And this is why God wants us to know, to have assurance that we're based, our love, our love for God, God's love for us is based on what Christ has done. That's the example of love, which allows us when we fall short, when we fail, when we fall into sin, when we feel like we've missed the mark, it allows us to rest because a father doesn't exile their kid for messing up, but he welcomes them in and teaches them. This is assurance. This is security. And he's promised he would never leave us, which captivates our heart. It literally, it captivates every part of us and creates deep affections for him. If God's for us and will never leave us and will never cast us out, doesn't that like create this warm feeling in you? That no matter how bad you've done or what you've done or who you are, God loves you? Man, deep affections for him. Look in John 14. 15 through 18 says, if you love me, Jesus saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Listen to this, spirit of truth, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Those that have not trusted in Jesus do not have the spirit because they have never seen or heard him. You know him. For he dwells with you and you will be in him, or he will be in you. And then beautiful, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is the promise to G- from Jesus that I love you and I'm not gonna leave you as an orphan. I will give you a name. You will not be fatherless. You will have a father. You will not be without a family. You will have a family and I'll keep you forever. I'll never let you go. This is, what, this is the truth that God desperately wants you to know that you are in him. So how does God want us to know? If Jesus wants us to know, the father wants us to know that we are secured in him, how does he want us to know? Well, I think we have to understand what it means to be in Jesus. To be in Jesus means we are a surrendered follower, like everything. It's yours, Jesus. We have surrendered and placed our hope and our trust and our faith in that what he did on the cross was sufficient for our sin, was enough, paid it in full. You don't owe anything. You don't have to do anything else other than surrender, that he has bought you. And see, if we claim any other reason, if you claim any other reason, reason. Well, I, I, I said the prayer. Now I give, I serve, I do. If it's based on your merit, if you come before the father going, well, I did this and it's not your pleading, Jesus, you've missed it because that falls short, right? If you, if it's all placed on you, it will fall short because we're not capable of being good enough even in our best days, right? Because I'm sure if you're like me, you haven't been perfect today. Did you wake up and you're like, man, it looks horrible outside. And then all of a sudden it puts you in a bad mood. You're like, kids are losing their mind. Your spouse has said something dumb, didn't compliment your outfit or something. I don't know, stuff I get in trouble for. um, Or maybe you woke up late. Anyone wake up late today? 
I woke up, not late, I woke up on time. I was very proud of myself today. But I was like, there's no way. There's no way it's time to be getting up. And I, I'm telling you, when I wake up late, it's not a holy word that comes out of my mouth. Well. <laughs> but, listen, I recycle jokes. It landed a lot better in the first, but it's okay. <laughs> I'll learn one day, Jared. I'll learn. I was like, I got to work it in. I apologize. Um, get behind me, Satan. We're moving forward. Listen. How he wants you to know is you've placed all your hope on Jesus. This is how you know that all your hope, all your security, all your everything that you know is placed on Jesus. You've rested in the account of what Jesus did was sufficient for you. And you don't need to do anything else. And if you could, you, there's not enough you could do to save you. I mean, Brandon read from Leviticus, if you read the Levitical law, you fall short of holiness. Always. There's not enough you can do to impress God, but Jesus was enough for you. So I want to I give you an illustration for my visual learners. I want you to think of this chair as your salvation, resting in your salvation. And see, a lot of us, like, we want to, we want to come to God and be like, well, it seems sturdy. It seems like solid metal. Maybe it could hold those 19 extra pounds I've gained during COVID-19. Uh, I, I think it would hold me. And we want to talk a lot about thinking, maybe, like if I could just examine it, like if I could just confidently know that it would hold me, I would sit. And so we were like, man, I, I trust that it, that it would hold me. Chair, I trust you, but I'm going to hang out right here. I trust it. Seems like a great idea, a great concept. I trust it, but I'm going to chill right here. I've never, I've not surrendered to the trust that this chair will hold me. Just talked about it. A lot of us too are like, well, I think it would hold me, but I just want to be confident. So I'll just kind of like chill on it for a second. Seems sturdy, but it, I, who knows? I mean, 2020 has been a rough year. A lot of ice cream. Had a double doozy last night. True story. Broke my fast. So we do these things. Some of us want to earn our salvation and we're like, man, watch how awesome I am, God. Look how I can get in this chair. And you're trying to impress God. But the reality of sitting in a chair and the reality of your salvation is either you're resting fully on your weight or you're resting fully on Jesus. And see, you can't, you can't love Jesus and be surrendered to Jesus and be like, I trust it kinda, but I'm gonna trust me too. And I'm not saying you won't have seasons of that. Trust me, I get having seasons of that, but at some point we have to go, I believe that this has me. And if it doesn't have me, I'm gonna fall. But I've surrendered to the fact that it is, will hold me. And so I don't have to play the game of trying to impress God with how awesome I can get into the seat because if I actually tried, it would be horrible. YouTube phenomenon, I would eat it. Tear an ACL or something. But we also can't be like, I, I trust it, but I'm just gonna sit here. Y'all good? 
Because at the end of the day, my weight would overtake me and I'd fall. Just like if you try to do this life with Jesus on your own, your sin will overtake you. And you'll get frustrated because if God actually loved me, how, why would he not fully get me? Why would he not fully hold me? But the reality is you've never surrendered. He wants you to know that you can be saved and you know it by you've placed all your hope. What your claim to salvation is Jesus. Why do you deserve to get to heaven? Jesus. It's not me, it's Jesus. You also know this because he's given you a new nature. He's given you a new nature. God gives us a new heart. He gives us new desires. He gives us new affections. When I gave my life to the Lord at 18, almost 19, had been living the life of, I go to church, but I'm gonna party on the weekend. I'm going to party Saturday night and show up Sunday morning, not really know what's going on, and doing these things. And when God saved me, everything changed. I'm not saying I was perfect immediately. I'm still not perfect. I told you my first thought when I wake up late. But I'm telling you, over time, what I once desired, I didn't desire anymore. I became, like, I, I got this pocket Bible and just shoved it in my back pocket at work. And, like, if I wasn't selling you a pizza at Target, shout out. Well, it's not there anymore. I was reading my Bible in the back. I wanted to share Jesus. I couldn't get enough of it. Because I had realized who I was was wicked, totally depraved. I was without hope. And when God revealed how good he was, I knew a lot about God growing up. I'd been coming to this church since 97, since I was seven years old. I knew a lot. I've been baptized twice. Just because one time it seemed cool, the other time I thought something had happened. But I knew in 2009. And God started changing my heart. So look at this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. My favorite verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Brand new. Brand new. My wife met me after I had been saved. I was a pastor already. And so when she hears stories from high school and college about me, she's like, that doesn't sound like you. And I'm like, I know. How awesome is this? I'm new. I'm brand new. You and Christ are new. This is how you know you are a Christian. He says this in verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, very crucial, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Look, another example of how you know when you're a new creation, your prayers start shifting. From God, it would be really awesome to get a raise. It'd be really awesome if my neighbor would stop leaving his trash on the road. It'd be really awesome if my coworker would take a shower, right? <laughs> we start praying things. I'm not saying those are bad prayers, like please take a shower, but I'm saying our desires shift. We start praying, God, I want your will to be done. Instead of, some of us are in, I'm making light of some things, but some of us are in real dark places and really difficult seasons. And I'm not saying that God wants you to not pray for you to be delivered out of it, but I am saying that he wants you to pray for his will to be done. And what if his will is that you stay in it a little bit longer? Well, God said his plans are to prosper, not to harm. But what if in the harm, he's blessing you? 
Jeremiah is an awesome book, but it's not going really well for Jeremiah when he says that. We have to know that when we pray, we're praying, God, I want your, Matthew 6, how Jesus taught his followers to pray. Hallowed be your name, make your name holy, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus prays in the garden, not my will, but your will, Father. This is the heart of someone that's been transformed. I, and I'm not saying, like, pray, like, you can have selfish prayers, but at the end of the day, it has to be, God, your kingdom come. If it means everything falls apart, if my life gets more difficult, Jesus be made famous in me. Because we know when we pray that way, John tells us that our request, we have our request, that God hears us. Think about that. The Father in heaven hears us when we're walking in his will. 16, it says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there's a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there's a sin that does not lead to death, which can be very confusing in the front. But what John is saying, listen, there's sin that has not been confessed and repented of that is going to lead to death. How we, we repent and confess, Jesus has paid the price, we surrender. That sin will not lead to death. But the one that has not, if you have never repented, never surrendered to Jesus, that sin leads to death. And he just caps it with all sin is wrongdoing. So how do you know? How do you know that you are in Jesus? You have new desires, new heart, new affections. In verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Our desires change and we no longer desire to sin. We grow to hate our sin. We see it as Christ saw it. We see it and see what it did to Jesus. See, we treat our sin as this petty thing. We treat it as something we can control. But it killed Jesus. And we must learn to hate it because this is the desire of God. Because our sin has separated us and God has made a way. He's, made, he's been the propitiation for your sin, the payment of wrath that you might be in union with him. See, because our nature has changed, our lives look different. Not because we mustered up the strength to be different, not because we try, it's not behavior modification. It's that God changes us. It's a miracle that he's taken our depraved, wretched hearts and made us new. A heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. He's changed us. Not because we changed us, because God changed us. Look at these passages. 1 John 2, 3 through 6, it says, By this we know that we've come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. John tells us that if we love God, we do what he's told us to do. Not because he's this mean God in heaven punishing us, but because he has more for us. And he's telling us that our lives should look, they should reflect Jesus. And that's not meaning you're perfect. Hear me, you're not going to be perfect. But you're striving towards holiness because that's what God's called you to. Your life changes. You start reflecting to a dying, 
world who Jesus is so that his name will be made famous through you. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we pass out of death into life because we love our, or love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Let that sit on you. That hurts me because who's been cut off in traffic and you're like, I'll ram you off the road. You better move. We talked about it. You know, your neighbor leaves your trash out and you're up at midnight picking up trash out of your yard. I'm telling you, the worst version of Brandon Bridge Farmer is in traffic. My wife will attest to it. I just don't get it. But the reality is we're called to love one another. We're called to love someone that voted differently than you, that thinks differently than you. You are called to love people because you were once loved when you were unlovable. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to agree with them. Love doesn't mean you agree. It just means you love them. You see past it. I don't agree with you on everything, but we must agree on this. 1 John 4, 12 and 13. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. So once again, we love one another and God abides in us and then he's given us a spirit who attests to our salvation, who tells you, like reminds you. 2 Peter 1.10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Be, more, be diligent to confirm that you're in the faith, that you've been called by Christ to the kingdom of God, to be a child of God. And you do it by practicing the commands, the qualities, the truths of who God is. Romans 8, 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Like we, we, our bodies are corrupted by sin, but the spirit lives in us, shining out righteousness, not perfection. You will not be perfect. Perfect. I don't know what just happened there. You will not be perfect. Case in point, look at that. The Holy Spirit just testifying but you will show righteousness because when God sees you, those that are in Christ, he doesn't see your sin, he sees Jesus because Jesus has stood in the place. See, and I know, listen, I know some of us are wrestling with this and I know, I know a, a sermon like this is difficult. I've wrestled with it all week. I've, I've felt the spiritual warfare because I don't want you to walk away going, I thought I believed, and then you feel this unbearable weight. I want you to know that you can wrestle with this. God wants you to wrestle with it. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Paul's saying, listen, work it out. Figure it out. Make sure this is true. This is the most important conversation or question you can answer. Are you saved? Doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect. But do you, have you surrendered? Have, are you still just kind of like, I'm leaning on it. I'm thinking about it. I trust it, but I will not give it. I'm not gonna give into it. Or have you gone, Jesus, I, I don't understand what it's gonna look like, but I place my full weight on you. I place it all on you and you, you can handle it. You're God, you can handle it. Have you surrendered to him? Because I love this quote from J.D. Greer. 
A sign of someone who is truly saved is they always come back. A sign of someone who is truly saved is they always come back. It doesn't matter if you get baptized. It doesn't matter if you serve and give. If 10 years from now you walk away, you were never saved. He's God. He doesn't lose us. If he can lose us, he's not God. He holds us. He calls us. He's given us a name. See, proof of saving faith is it perseveres over time. If one day I denounce Jesus, it's because I never believed Jesus. Proverbs 24, 16 says this, for the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. It doesn't matter what you, it doesn't, you're going to fall. You're going to struggle. You're going to stumble. This is a journey we're on. And it's rough at times. You're going to look like you can't walk at times. You're going to fall. But are you going to get back up? He hasn't promised to keep you from harm. He's promised that he'll be there. And this is how you can know that you're in him is that he's with you. And when the seasons fall apart and everything's falling around and everything's burning around you and you can, and at times where you're like, man, where are you, God? You can know that he's there. I'm walk, we're walking through this as a family. In April, we found out because of COVID over FaceTime that my wife had lost our 20-week-old baby. It's a horrible phone call. It's really bad when you're on FaceTime and you have your two little ones sitting there with you and you got to hold it together for them. And you can't be there to comfort your wife. And in the moment where you're like, God, where are you? What is the deal, God? I thought you loved me. I'm a flipping pastor, God. Like, do, am I not doing enough? These, I'm being transparent and honest with you. This is what went through my head. And God just in a moment, it doesn't make sense and I still have hard days. He's like, man, I got you. You don't have to know why you're going through this. But to know that I love you and I have not abandoned you, I'm not against you, I'm for you. Does that mean that I'm gonna wake up tomorrow and not struggle with that thought? No, but I'm gonna return to Jesus knowing that he's for me. And so I don't know where you're at today. I know some of us are struggling. I know some of us are wrestling with this. I know doubt is creeping in. And I want to comfort you with this. Where do you go? Are you going to run to your sin? Are you going to run to Jesus? Because I love this as we close in Mark 9. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Because this has become my prayer. Jesus has brought this boy who is... um, has, is possessed by a, a demon, a spirit, and it's convulsing him. He's been doing it since childhood. And he brings the boy to Jesus. And Jesus asked the father in verse 21 of Mark 9, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to them, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw a crowd come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit and saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he is dead. 
But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. But what I want you to see is the Father's response. God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Some of us are in here today, we're wrestling. We're, we're like, I, I'm, I, I kind of trust, but I don't want to fully give it to you. Like, God, do you see what's going on? Do you see the, the chaos at work? Do you see the chaos in my family? Do you see whatever it is that you're going through? I don't know if I can trust that you are for me in this. I don't know if I can trust that you have my eternity. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I did? Do you know who I was? You don't know what I did last night and God knows. He tells us in Romans that even while we were sinners, Christ died. That before you sinned, all your sins were future sins to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, listen, you can surrender it. And your prayer is just gonna have to be, God, I believe, help my unbelief because it, it feels like I need to sit off. I need to get off. It just seems like it'd be more secure if I could rest on my security, my ability, my merit. God's like, no, 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 I got you. Rest here. Rest in the account that what Jesus did through his life, his death, his burial, and his resur resurrection and ascension was sufficient for you. It was enough. It paid it in full. It's nothing else you have to do other than surrender. So I know there's two people in the room today. There's some of us that are wrestling with it. Do, God, God, do you love me? Are you for me? And my hope is that you would know that one day you have trusted in him. There's those that have trusted in him, but you're wrestling with today. But God, the Holy Spirit, just grant it to you and give you the belief to know that you're secure. But maybe there's some in the room that have never. Maybe you thought you did, but you never have. Maybe you were trying this whole church thing out and you've never trusted in Jesus. My prayer for you today is that you would trust. You don't have to have the answers. You don't have to completely understand exactly how the chair is made, how it fully functions. You just need to go, I surrender. We'll figure it out. It's gonna be really hard. I'm gonna wanna get up at times, but I, I'm surrendering. All my hope is in you, Jesus. You are alone sufficient. And God, where I don't believe, would you help my unbelief? God, would you grant belief? Would you grant faith? Would you grant trust? Would you grant surrender? So maybe today you just need to do business with God. Maybe you need to come ask questions. My team would be down, our team's gonna be down here. We'd love to show you in scripture what it looks like to follow Jesus. We'd love to pray with you that God would grant belief where you're struggling, where doubt has creeped in, that God would bless you and show you that he's more. He's more and he has mercy and grace. So I'm gonna pray and we're gonna worship. But whatever the Holy Spirit's leading you to do right now, just be obedient. So Father, you know our hearts. You know where every single one of us in this room is at and what we're dealing with. And God, you're big enough. You're not afraid of our problems. You're sufficient. So God, I pray for those that have never trusted you. We know you can save. We know you want to save. Would you blow up in our hearts this morning? 
God, where we're struggling, where those in the room that are struggling and doubting, would you grant them trust? Would you grant them faith? Would you give them belief? No matter the circumstances, that we can rest just as Job did, as everything dripped from him, that you alone are God. We can trust them. So God, we love you. Would you move in power? It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray.